Get ready for the Mobile Home Park Minute Podcast. And now your host, Tyson Cross. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Tyson here, and this is show number two. Mobile Home Park Minute, the show where we talk about everything mobile home park investing. And today's show, on today's show, rather, uh, just wanted to dive in on the second part of really the two investments that we have currently. And I'll spend a little bit of time talking about each one, what makes them good investments from our perspective, why we were excited about them, and then uh, I'll relate it back to maybe some of the stuff that you should be looking for. And by the way, if you're new to the show, you can still find our earlier episodes where we started really tackling some of the first steps to do as an investor. And we'll go back to that probably after this show. But I thought it'd be good to just circle back up on the first show, spend a little bit more time uh, diving into the two parks that I own. And so we'll do that now. And so if you haven't listened to the first show, please go back and do that. But this will hopefully build on that uh, episode. So the first investment or mobile home park that we invested in rather uh, was a deal we found back in 2017. This was a park located in Kansas, just outside of Kansas City. Uh, It was 71 spaces. It's a family uh, park, family type park. And primarily, uh, they are single-wide homes, single-wide manufactured homes in this in this uh, mobile home park. We do have one uh, double-wide. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, it's it's got like a uh, a pop-out side, so I guess it's one and a half. But um, we have pulled some. So let me back up. We first found this park uh, from Direct Mail, and uh, if you listen to the earlier show, I mentioned that we sent out probably a thousand pieces of direct mail before we actually found this particular park. Uh, When we were doing that back in 16, uh, beginning, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, direct mail still uh, was a little bit untapped as far as a resource uh, or I guess a a marketing strategy. Uh, Today, I think a ton of people are using direct mail. You hear about it on podcasts, you see it on bigger pockets. And any blogs you read about, people talk a lot about direct mail. And rightfully so, it's been a great strategy. But what that's done is created or inundated, rather, all these investors or owners with a ton of direct mail. So it's really hard to stand out. But at the time we were doing it, it still it wasn't quite where it is today. And so we were getting probably a five to seven, maybe even higher response rate on the mail we would send out. So you have to imagine with with as much direct mail as you send out, you're going to get, and you're getting five percent, five to seven percent response rate. There's going to be a lot of parks or investments that just a don't fit our criteria, b they're overpriced or the owner wants way too much for those parks, and uh, or just c it, it you know it's just run down, it has no upside. Uh, there's just it's not a, not a park we would invest in. And so you have to really look at a lot of deals before you're going to find the one that you're investing in. And that, go, that goes back to some of the stuff I, I talked about earlier. But the reality is whether you're looking at deals from brokers, whether you're, you're, you're going direct, uh, whatever the case is, be prepared to look at a lot of properties before you pull the trigger. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to write offers. It just means you're just 
before you actually end up closing on one, you're going to look at a bunch of deals. And, or you should. I mean, not everyone does, and, and there's probably people that overpay or, or, or don't uh, buy the right asset. Regardless, though, we, we looked at a lot of deals. We ended up finding this particular asset. Uh, a larger operator had uh, made an offer but uh, didn't follow up, and this owner reached out to us because they re received our direct mail. And so um, what was nice about that is they were already prepared. They had all the due diligence docs. They had all the financials, tax returns. Uh, they had an old appraisal. They had rent roll. I mean, they had everything. They had maps, utility line maps. Um, and so they were able to send us that rather quickly. And so we did our due diligence. We underwrote it quickly um, using uh, the spreadsheet uh, that I love. And uh, by the way, if you guys want copy of this quick um, uh, analyzer spreadsheet that I've come up with be happy to send it to you um, but uh, we use that and then we were able to, to write an offer I knew at the time uh, he had a, an appraisal that was two years old and I also knew what offer this larger operator has made so I had some leverage in terms of knowing where he was at on price and what this appraisal uh, showed two years prior uh, the, the interesting thing was when they did this appraisal, there there was not really any uh, adjustment or increase from the rents when the appraisal was done to where they currently were sitting. And so I reasoned using that that as um, uh, reasoning for my, my offer and just uh, we came in and uh, offered, I think we offered about 50000 higher than where I knew this larger operator had come in. And I was expecting to negotiate, uh, but he ended up accepting that that first offer right off the bat. And so um, we put this uh, in contract fairly quickly. Um, the things that we liked about the park was it was a 71 space park, city water and city sewer. Uh, the electric was master metered, which was interesting. You don't see a lot of parks that are master metered for electricity. However, this one was, had five transformers throughout the park and then ran lines to each individual uh, electric pedestal, which then had a, a submeter. So we are, we were and are able to bill electricity directly back to those tenants because they've all been submetered. Um, so really, it's not a big deal. I think, you know, you hear things or hear people that worry about master meter electric. I think it's just, part of doing the due diligence and understanding uh, what you've got. And so we did that. Um, City Water, uh, there is no submeters on the homes. However, they had a rubs system in place and therefore they were billing back the usage uh, on a pro rata basis based on the number of occupants per home. Rubs, if you're not familiar, stands for ratio utility billing system. It's common in apartments. Um, and what it is is basically it's a way of passing through the water and sewer expense to the residents and so you can just you know check your local state laws but make sure you can do it you can't do that in oregon uh, manufactured home rules state that, that no rubs are, are uh, allowed so you actually have to submeter in order to pass through utilities or water sewer rather anyway we liked it a lot because of those reasons rents were um you know they were below market uh, for the area and we knew we could we could bring those up over the course of a few years, which we've we've done um, 
There was also really two or three vacant spaces. And so our plan has been in, uh, or was when we bought it to move new homes in and, and we've been doing that. And so we, we, we liked it because of the numbers that we, we saw. We knew it had upside. We knew there was potential for this park to be a lot nicer than it was. And it wasn't a bad park. It was, it was, it was already nice, but uh, it just could use more attention. And so we've, we ended up closing on that park. Uh, I think it took us about four months. It took a little bit longer uh, for some lending, just some lending delays. But once we closed, we, we proceeded to uh, reinvest back into it and have been since. And the important thing for us was knowing what we were going to do from day one. And so I'll talk a lot about this, but new investors, as you're anticipating closing on your first park, really important to have a game plan for the first 30 to 60 to 90 to really 180 days. And so if you can put this plan into place before you actually close, you'll be able to hit the ground running. And that's what we've done. We, uh, we did a, a really park-wide tree trimming, um, a major tree trimming. We've done a bunch of road repairs. We pulled out homes that needed to be pulled out and we've brought new homes in. Uh, we have improved the signage. We've obviously, well, not obviously, we've also implemented new, not new rule change, but enforced the rules and tightened some rules up. So really, we've just been just really pouring back into it. And I'll, I'll tell you the best the best feeling or best satisfaction that, that I've gotten from Oklahoma Investing is just from having people come up and say that they don't want to move because of the things that we're doing. And so uh, new investors, that that will be something you'll hopefully experience and, and find as rewarding as I did. And so that park is, is doing well. We're, we're really excited about the way it looks and, and the, the community that we've really um, improved. Uh, we have a fantastic manager that we were lucky enough to get who lived in the park. And on the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we uh, look for in a manager and, and things that I looked for when I was hiring a manager and, and some of the things that uh, uh, she's been able to do to really uh, just bring this park up uh, to another level. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you're feeling extra kind, go ahead and leave us a review and or subscribe. Stay tuned for more good stuff on mobile home parks. Take care.